Man, it's so good to see you guys. And you guys sound pretty amazing, I must say. Man, yeah, Suzanne, man, she just nailed it. <laughs> oh, man, it is so good to worship the living God, isn't it? Uh, if you will, turn to Acts chapter 10 this morning. I know your bulletin in the back says Acts chapter 2. Little typo, little typo there. Um, so we're in Acts chapter 10. We will be covering from verses 23 to the end of the chapter, which is verse 48. And we will be finishing up Acts 10. As we make our way through Acts 10 or over Acts 10, what we saw last week was that God just wants to use some willing vessels, man. If you're willing, man, He is willing to use you. If you make yourself available to God, then He, or that we should expect, then we should expect that He, he would use us because God is always at work. The Bible tells us that our God, the one that we serve, never sleeps and He never slumbers. He is always at the ready to, to, to put people to work if they're willing to do to, to follow him in that way. I love the way that God throughout history, and, and we see it through the scriptures, but we can see it in our own life, is always orchestrating. He's always planning. He's always putting people in the right place at the right time. And when we make ourselves available to put ourselves at the ready, then he is always ready. Uh, to use us. And so we left off last week with Cornelius uh, sending three men to go call Peter to come to Caesarea. Peter is in, 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 in Joppa, about 30 some miles south of Caesarea. And, uh, and Peter was being prepared to receive them. The Lord was already orchestrating this whole thing, and, and then he would be end up going with them, as we're going to see. And, and God told them something right at the end there, doubting nothing. In other words, don't make any more distinctions here, Peter, from here on out. In other words, from, from here on out, Peter was never to have to make a distinction between Jew or Gentile. Because that middle wall of separation or partition, as I like to, in the old King James, the middle wall of partition, is being taken down. But Peter, he first had to open the gate, as we saw last week. He first had to open the gate to the guys that Cornelius had sent. So we're in, in chapter 10, beginning in verse 23. Um, let's read this section to verse 33 right now, and then we'll move on to the, the next part. It says in verse 23, then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them, and some, brothers, some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them, and he called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up. I myself am I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Verse 28. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation 
But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then them, I asked then, <laughs> for what reason have you sent for me? So Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here whose surname is Peter. He is lodging at the house of Simon, a tanner, by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. And so, Father, I pray that you would bless this portion of Scripture and the rest as we read it later, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. And so in verse 23, as we go back to, our, to the beginning of our text here, he says, and he invited them in and lodged them. And the next day, Peter went with them. Um, what is happening here in Joppa with Peter is something that is big. So big that I would have to use the word epic for that. Now, I have a tendency, a propensity, if you will, of overusing words. Amazing being one of them. Some of you guys, you guys, all the time, it's like, oh, like Pastor Steve says, amazing. It's like, yes, yes, I overuse that word because I get excited about stuff like that, right? And so I know that amazing is one of those words that I can, I can overuse quite a bit. But looking for a word that is even more amazing than just amazing, I came up with the word epic for today. I'll probably overuse the word epic quite a bit. Huge and epic will be huge and epic today. I just want to let you guys know that. I'm not just reiterating or just like, ah, oh, he's just looking for a word. No, I did this on purpose. Okay, so I'm going to use the word huge and epic quite a bit. And amazing probably. And all of those, what are they called? Superlatives, maybe? Adjectives. Thank you. Because I don't know. I just use those kinds of things all the time. But be that as it may... You see, God has truly taken Peter out of his comfort zone to do something that is purely amazing and truly amazing. Um, the gospel is now going to reach all people because from here on out, there will be no more differences between Jew and Gentile here in our text. According to God's economy, he is about to do something that is pretty epic in, in nature. Because before this, this has never happened before in the Jewish 
culture, in the Jewish nation. And so when we get to this portion of Acts chapter 10, this is something that is unheard of, and we get to be able to go through it together. It happened 2,000 years ago, but I really want you to understand that today. So if you will, turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read from verses 11 to 22 because it's a pretty epic portion of Scripture for us to understand what is truly going on here in our text this morning. And if you can gather and understand what is what the Apostle Paul is writing to the Ephesians all about, then, then we could truly understand just how epic this whole thing is. It's huge. It's colossal. It's, it's, it's so big of what is actually going on in the book of Acts with Peter. And so in, in, um, in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, try to capture as I'm reading, and I hope I do a better job than I do normally when I read, but be that as it may, when he's talking about the Jew and the Gentile in this portion of Scripture. And so you got to try to grasp that in verse, uh, verse 11, chapter 2 of Ephesians. He says, Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision made by made in the flesh by hands that at the time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world but now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished it, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and those who were near, that through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Verse 19, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, have, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fit, fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So if you were able to follow along and capture what 
the Apostle Paul was telling the Ephesians that the Gentiles who were afar off, who were estranged from God, who were aliens from God, has now brought them in. And those who had always been near the Jews, who had always had this relationship with God for centuries on end, he says, by them too I'm bringing peace. I'm bringing those two and making one out of it. That is the church. So he's taking the Gentiles, he's taking the Jews and bringing them together. And so that's why this is so huge in this portion of Scripture. Because when we go back to our text in Acts chapter 10, Peter has been taken out of Jerusalem to do the work that God had in store for him. He had been an itinerant uh, pastor a a traveling roving uh, kind of kind of pastor and minister he's been going from place to place and he ends up in Joppa and he had been called to Joppa to heal someone or to to be there and he ends up raising her from the dead and he stays there for a time and he stays there with a man whose name is Simon and he is a tanner now for the record Simon's business is not a talent tanning salon. That's not what he's doing. They didn't have those back then. A tanner is one who converts animal skins into leather. Most of you guys know that. Some of us have to look stuff up like that to understand what is a tanner, you know? Again, we don't work with animals, I don't at least. But be that as it may, what is happening in this situation, because he's been staying with Simon, a tanner, for, for, for a few days. He's been there. He's lodging with them. So Peter is already out of his element. And the reason I say that is because he's, he's being around a guy who brings in dead things dead skin and for a Jew you're just not supposed to be around dead things you're not supposed to be doing that and he's actually living with a guy who brings in dead skins from animals if you look on YouTube and you look up the job of a tanner it is a stinky business from what I understand, it's horrible. And they, you, and anyway, you just go on YouTube and, and punch in, what is a tanner's job? If they take you to a tanning salon, keep on searching <laughs> until you go to the other place. It is pretty gnarly. Be that as it may. Peter, already being out of his element now invites these men who have come down from Caesarea and they are Gentiles as well. He brings them in and he lodges them. He is going to be sleeping either in the same big room together or in the next room with them, however it is, but he is in this place that he's totally out of his element. Why? Because God is breaking down this middle wall of partition or separation. From here on out, God has been trying to reveal to Peter that there will never be another separation like this in his economy for his church. And so the significance of what is happening here is huge. It is epic, to say the least. This is where Jesus had said back in, and you can mark all these things down. This is where Jesus had said when he was here on earth in John 10 16 as he's talking to his disciples he says this as he's talking about being a shepherd 
He says, I have, or and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and they will be one flock and one shepherd. They will be one flock and one shepherd. Again, this goes back to what I just read to you in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. Jesus is saying, I want, I'm going to make, there's going to just be one fold, but I'm gonna, there's other sheep out there. There are Gentiles. Again, there's different variations of what people say the other sheep were, but he's talking about people that were not, that did not have a fold, and he's talking about the, the, the Gentiles. And so it says back in our text, on the next day, Peter went with them and some brethren from Joppa accompanied them. And then the following day, they entered into, they entered into Caesarea. So Peter is now going on his way with these Gentiles up to another Gentile's house. And so he's traveling with them. But he is also taking with them, as it tells us in Acts eleven twelve, that here he says he took some of the guys with him, some of the brethren, some of the other Christians with them that probably that were from Jewish backgrounds. The next chapter, chapter eleven, verse twelve, tells us that there was at least there was six of them that Peter took with him. That would be three times the, the official number that was needed as witnesses. And so like I said, this is, this is a huge deal. This is, this is epic what is going on here. The more witnesses, the better, because Christians back in Jerusalem are not going to believe what just happened here. They're, they're, they're going to have some kind of understanding of going what in the world are you guys doing why are you allowing this to happen Peter why oh why are you attaching yourself with Gentiles and so the more witnesses the better there would be at least seven witnesses in all when they have to attest to what is about to transpire and so again the fact that he's taken all these brethren with him was a good smart move whether he realized it or not as we will see in acts chapter 11 but in verse 24 he says and the following day they entered caesarea and so, again, it took them over a day to get there, which means that they were now moving at a normal pace. A day's journey was about 20 miles. So we're looking at about 30, 35 miles from Joppa all the way to Caesarea. And so they have a bigger group they're, they're now going with. They're probably not on, all on horses as they did probably when they came and got there quicker. And so they had to spend the night somewhere and so they get there the next day but catch this the the latter part of this verse now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends Cornelius was that sure he was that convinced what God had revealed to him through the angel it wasn't something that just happened. It wasn't something that, 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 
that he made up, this was real in his life. And so it's like he was expecting Peter to come. God says, hey, send these people to this guy at this guy's house. His name is Peter. He goes by Simon, you know, but, but his name is Peter and, and sent for him. He was that sure that he invited some friends and relatives over to his house going, they should be coming any, any moment now. That's how confident this guy is, that God had spoken to him. Now, if Cornelius is anything like me, he couldn't stop talking about what God had showed him. I, I am what you would call a braggart. I love <laughs> when God does something in my life. I mean, I can't keep quiet. I mean, I do that if I find a really good restaurant that I have to tell the world. Luckily, I don't do Facebook or Instagram or anything like that. I'd be blowing everybody up. And so I don't do that. I just do it word of mouth. And so if I find a good place, man, oh, man, people are going to be hearing about it for a while. But when, when God has really, like, done something in my life, it's hard for me to not share that with people. Oftentimes, I'll share it with you guys from the pulpit, but my poor staff, man, they have to hear about it all the time. My wife, the people that, that, that come into my orb, I mean, there's so much. I, again, Cornelius could not stop talking about this, so much so that I'm sure he was telling his relatives and friends right after all of this had happened, he had sent the guys, going, no, no, really, guys, these guys are going to come, and we're going to hear from God, and blah, blah, and I'm sure that Cornelius' friends and, and relatives were going, this Cornelius is a little too religious now. I think he's gone a little overboard. He is so zealous over this whole thing. An angel appeared to you? Come on, bro. But he is so excited. And I'm sure, again, I'm speculating that that's what he was doing, but I'm sure all doubts were gone. The moment Peter and his little entourage, the Tossi, had come into Caesarea, and there was probably a buzz going, hey, that guy Cornelius sent, they're back. And it's a big group. There, there's at least seven other guys who are, coming, who are coming with him. And so all doubt was gone as he got to Cornelius' house. Cornelius goes out to meet him. But look at what Cornelius does. It says that he went out to meet him and he fell at his feet and worshipped him. Now, we need to understand that this was not an uncommon practice at that time and in those days, in the sense that people bowed to each other. They bowed to, to honor someone. If they met someone, there was a bow. And we see that in different cultures. We don't do that too much here. Although I do have some of you guys that bow to me. I think it's kind of weird. No. <laughs> Most of you guys do that because it's like because I'm that short. And it's like, what did you say, sonny boy? Be that as it may. But, but, but that was something that was done in certain cultures. You bowed. You bowed to one another to show them honor. And I'm sure Cornelius understood this all too well because he had subordinates. And I'm sure every time they came to Cornelius, him being a centurion, they bowed to him, just like he would to his higher-ups. And so it wasn't uncommon that he would bow to Peter. He had never met Peter before. 
But he must have known that God had chosen him because God spoke to him through an angel that he would come and deliver a message. And so he has this, this respect for him. So he not only bows in respect, but it tells us that he worshipped him. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that he worshipped him as a god or in any kind of religious homage. More than likely, again, it was a civic kind of homage and respect that you bowed, not just a regular bow, but you actually got down on your knees and you bowed, not so much prostrating yourself, but getting down, way down on the ground to show this guy respect. But Peter would have none of this. Regardless if it was religious or civic. And Peter says something to him that is more profound than Peter really understood what he was saying. What he says is, stand up, I myself am also a man. In other words, we are on the same level. I am no better than you is what he basically says to him. You don't need to do that. Now, understand, Cornelius is a very religious man. He's gone to the temple before, I'm sure, to Jerusalem. He's been around high priests and Pharisees and probably Sadducees and probably all these guys. And so those guys didn't mind people bowing down to them, even if they prostrated themselves to them, kissed the ring, whatever they did. They enjoyed that kind of stuff. But Peter's not one of them. Peter understands who he is. And basically what he is saying in this profound statement is that, me and you are on the same plane level. God has brought me down because God has been teaching him something and he's raised you up and he's kind of given us a, 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 the same plane level here. Because you see, the Jews always thought themselves to be better than everybody else. Especially the Gentiles. Because, well, everybody else was a Gentile. <laughs> if you were not Jewish... You were a Gentile. And so what's going on here is pretty epic, I would say. I kind of wonder if God had allowed all these things to happen in Peter's life that we saw in our last chapter and the fact that he was traveling around and just seeing different things and without the rest of the apostles. He's, he's on his own. He probably has his own peeps with him. But, but he's going along and he has seen things and God is moving in ways that he probably wouldn't have seen if he had just stayed in Jerusalem. But he has seen so much and now he is at Simon a Tanner's house and God had revealed something to him as he was in the trance and God was ministering to him. And so... I wonder if God had been showing him that he was no better than, than the Gentiles. The people were people. It was as if the Lord was showing him that there was nothing special about him as a Jew. He was a good Jew. We, we, we see that Peter was still doing some of the good Jewish culture things, even though he's eight years into being one of the leaders of the Christian church. 
he, he still hung on to some of that culture. And so perhaps God is breaking him and been showing him that he is nothing better. He is no better than anybody else. And I truly be believe that he is beginning to understand that. Because look at what verse 8 tells us. Because verse eight, uh, 28, I mean, is very, very significant. As Peter comes into the house, which was full of this guy's family and friends, in other words, he comes into the house and he realizes all these guys are Gentiles. He is very out of his element. But he says this in verse 28, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Let me read it to you through the Amplified. It says, You yourselves are aware how it is unlawful or permissible for a Jew to keep company with or to visit or even to come near or speak first to anyone of another nationality. But God has shown and taught me by word that I should not call any human being common, unhallowed, or ceremonially unclean. His eyes are beginning to open. Again, understand that for centuries, the Jews, based on Old Testament law, had declared Gentiles to be unclean. They, they didn't even walk, want to walk on the same side of the road with these guys. If they seen some Gentiles coming, they'd cross the street. They were very prejudiced when it came to anybody who was not a Jew. Some Jews even referred to Gentiles as dogs. That, that dogs were even better in some respect than, than Gentiles were. So they really didn't think much about anybody else in, in that culture. You see, the original design to keep the children of Israel separated was from the people was not because they were better than anyone else, but because God wanted them to worship Him alone, and, and, and He wanted to reveal Himself to the rest of the, the world, and He would use the small group of people to do that. They were supposed to be the light of the world, and yet they held the light on for themselves, and they basically didn't want to share that with other people. Again, Moses forbid any kind of allegiance by contact or marriage to the surrounding areas because they were idolaters. And that's why God says, no, you're going to come here. You're going to stay here. I don't, you want, I don't want you to intermarry. I don't want you to go out and do those kinds of things. But they took it to a next level. They took it to a level that, that they didn't even want to have any kind of contact with anybody, not even in business. They didn't want to do anything outside of the Jewish culture. And so this is a huge deal that is going on right here. They had taken it to a point that if you weren't Jewish, then you weren't really a person. You were less than a person. And they looked down on you. That's why this is huge. They didn't want the light to shine on 
the other nations. Even though throughout their history, they acted like other nations. They wanted to be like other nations. And they were always being convicted for sinning and committing sexual, or not sexual, but spiritual immorality with them. And God would always punish them for doing that because he wanted them to stay pure so that they can continue to be that light. But they had taken it to a whole new level. Needless to say that Peter is so completely out of his element. He is completely out of his comfort zone. But he cannot deny what God has already shown him through the vision. And it's all beginning to make sense now. It's interesting because the, 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 the vision really hadn't done anything in his life except tell him about killing and eating, but the vision was not about killing and eating. It was about being unclean and, and, and uh, common. What God was doing here was breaking down that middle wall and he is showing Peter, Peter, there's something about to happen and you're going to be the one that I'm going to use to break all of this. So this is a big deal. I'm sure Cornelius understood that this was huge, that this, was, this would be historic, that this would be epic. I'm sure he understood that he was inviting a Jewish man into his his house, and that Jewish man should or would have a, have a problem with that. And so the fact that he, he sent guys, the fact that he came, again, he is so confident that, that God is in it that he brings him in, and he, he's been waiting for him. There was a door that was now being opened. And it was being opened for this new group of people called the church, the other sheep, if you will, that were about to be brought into the fold that only Israel had this. They're the ones that, 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 that claimed it for all these years. This is, why P, this is why God could not have used Philip, as we talked about last week. He had to use Peter in this situation. If the vision had been shown to Philip, God would not have had to ask Philip twice or three times in this matter to kill and eat. Philip would have. He, he, he wasn't full-on Jewish. He was a Hellenist. He was Greek and Jew. So he was kind of almost that half-breed type of people. And so it wouldn't have been as significant for him as it is for Peter. And so this is something that is just off the charts epic in this situation. God had not revealed everything that he needed to know to Peter at this time, but his eyes are being opened little by little as he's going on. And what we have here in, in chapter or verse 28 is the fact that this vision is now beginning to unfold to him. He just showed him a, 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 you know, all these animals, kill and eat. Peter's going, no way, Jose, or no, no way, Jesus. <laughs> no way, I can't do that. And so again, it had to, it, it, I love the fact that, that, that Peter kind of says, man, as soon as I was called for, man, as soon as God showed me this, I was at the ready. He's like, no, Peter, it had to happen three times, Peter. 
You're making yourself look good right here. But this vision is, is unfolding right before his eyes, and we get to be a part of it here as we're seeing this unfold. When the Holy Spirit had told Peter that the men were at the gate, he didn't give him the message that he would be speaking over to Cornelius. He didn't say anything to him. The Holy Spirit just said, hey, there's three guys that are coming from Cornelius. You need to go and open the gate. But what if, what if Peter wouldn't have opened the gate? What if he wouldn't let them in or gone with them? But once he gets to the destination, because he did do that, he was able to do that in not totally understanding the whole message or everything that God had for him. He had now gotten to the destination and the Lord had showed him as he is now in front of all these Jews or all these Gentiles saying, God has showed me not to call you guys unclean or common. <laughs> he still didn't really know why though. He was there. And so he asked Cornelius at the end of verse 29, what reason, for what reason have you sent for me? So again, he's in the middle of this, not knowing exactly what's going on because God hadn't revealed it all to him yet. And so Cornelius tells them the whole story from verse 30 to 33. And he basically tells them the whole thing, calls them in, and says, we're here to hear all the things commanded, commanded you by God. In other words, preach it up, preacher boy. You got something to say. Peter's probably going like, okay, I didn't bring any notes. <laughs> Again, I don't know how people look at us as pastors thinking you're always ready, right? It's like, no, we're not. We get thrown into situations that you're going, okay, Lord, what do I say? What do I do here? If, if, here he has this amazing opportunity. But again, what if Peter? What if Peter wouldn't have opened the gate back in Joppa? What if he would have said, I'm sorry, our denomination doesn't do church like that. Because that's what we sometimes do, Right? If we have the opportunity to be used of God, if He's asking us to do something out of our comfort zone that is not ordinary for us, what do we do with that? Would we go against what God has asked us to do? Because again, if it's God, it won't go against His Word, believe you me. But He might stretch you to a point where you're feeling uncomfortable. But I think oftentimes we miss opportunities because we're afraid of what others might think as individuals and even as a church. We might be afraid, well, if we go do that, what, if, what is my pastor going to say when he finds out that I was hanging out with all these people and you know, God opened the door to be there? It's like, oh my gosh, you were with non-believers? I tell you, man, sometimes we're afraid to do stuff like that, to get out of our comfort zone because we think people are going to condemn us. And I'll tell you, there are people who will condemn you from within the church, even this church. And I think it's, it's sad because God is willing to use us wherever we go. 
we sometimes, he sometimes gets us out of that little Christian bubble that we love to be in because it's like, oh, let's just sing Kumbaya. And he takes you to a place where they're playing oldies, right? And you're going, okay, how can I change the words so it sounds Christian? It's like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Some of you guys have been there. That you're going, man, if they knew I was going to this concert, man, oh, geez, what would, what would the other people say? Oh, don't think that Peter wasn't thinking about, what is the church in Jerusalem going to think about this whole thing? Because that's what the next chapter is about. Because he knows that he's going to go back to Jerusalem, and they're going to say, you did what, bro? You're kidding me. You went with who? Where? And you stayed where? Dude, they are going to interrogate this guy. And, 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 and again, if you read on, because Peter's going to go, what do I do when God you know, does this, guys? Come on, it was God who did it. Instead of just going, guys, let's ease up here, man. Remember, remember what God has been showing us throughout all this time? He is like being on the defensive just like some of us would be. If somebody found out that you were somewhere where, you know, there's so many unbelievers and they're coughing up a storm. <gasps> and your virgin ears are just like burning, burning. And you're going, oh my gosh, I can't believe. It's like, really? So, so again, what we do sometimes is we hide the light because it's like, oh, I don't want to throw my pearls before swine. Oh, we don't want to do those kinds of things, right? And we start acting like, like the Jews that had put up this wall. And it was never intended to be like that. But we do that as Christians, and shame on us, guys. How are people going to know the gospel if we're not in the darkness? And people are going like, oh, you want me in darkness? It's like, dude, you better be strong because that world is dark out there, isn't it? You better be in your word and be, be as confident in the word as like Cornelius. He knew God was moving. Peter goes because he knows God has been showing him something. Again, if you're not strong enough, don't go. Don't go. If they're going to influence you, don't go. But if you're going to go, you better be the light in that place, in that dark place. Be prayed up before you go. Pray for opportunity. Pray for God to use you in the middle of the darkness. Because sometimes that's what He does. He pulls us away from our little Christian bubble, our little huddle, holy huddle that we have. And he says, hey, can, can I use you somewhere where it's out of the ordinary, like your job? Or with your relatives? What if? What if he says, I'm sorry, I can't, man. I can't go, man, because the, the church in Jerusalem is going to dog me after this. I can't, I can't go share the gospel with you. We get hindered. We get hindered from opening the gate, from letting them in, and from going with them because we're worried about what people will say. Understand this, guys. I am not, and this church is not your final authority. I'm not. Nor is Calvary Chapel feeling. God is your authority. 
He is your final authority. You will not answer to me. You will not answer to this church. And, and, and I understand when you need counsel or advice or any kind of permission, but in the end, in the end, you will answer to God, not to me. Understand that. And again, I have to realize that as well. As much as I, I want to protect you all, I will answer to God for where I end up sometimes. <laughs> Some of you guys are like, Pastor Zeke, that just sounds so crazy. Because what if God calls you to go to the Thunderbird? It's like, oh. I'm sure me and God will have this crazy discuss, discussion going on. <laughs> but if I know that it's the Lord, sorry, peeps. I'm walking in those doors. And again, man, if, if, you know what? Let's move on here before I get myself in more trouble. <laughs> but verse 34, we need to move on. Not just because I don't want to talk about that anymore. But you guys know. It says in verse 34, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. And the word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power and who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these things which he both which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. And so it tells us here, as we moved on in verse 34, that Peter opened his mouth. Peter is the one that began to speak. And as he began to speak, the, the middle wall of partition or separation from these two groups, began to crumble, began to fall. And I love the fact that it was with Peter. Why? Because he was obedient in the first place. Again, the Old Testament had mentioned this, and, and it would be coming to, that it would be coming to pass. And it's interesting because Peter is the vessel that God would use because in Deuteronomy 10, 17, back in the day with Moses, it says, For the Lord... Is God of God, is, is our God, the Lord our God, the Lord your God, 
is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. And so again, what is happening here is God is using Peter to fulfill that portion of Scripture back in Deuteronomy. And some might ask, well, why didn't the Gentiles, why weren't they brought in earlier if it's eight years into the Christian church? Being that there is no partiality with God. I truly don't know why it took eight years. But maybe, just maybe, quite possibly, the early church had to mature somewhat. Before, that middle wall of separation was not only knocked down, but it would stay down and not be built back up. You see, there will still be battles from here on out about that middle wall that has been separated. In the future, they have to keep this wall down, but there will be battles. And we see this through the epistles of Paul, and we also see this in the general epistles or, or, or letters at the end of the New Testament, that people were, 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 were having a battle with how the Gentiles were coming in because they weren't going through the Ju Judaism first. They were just coming in. And so there would always be that battle. But notice from verse 35 to to 41, that Peter preaches the gospel in a very simple manner. He doesn't go too deep, and he doesn't go over their heads. He just kind of hits them right where they're at, so that they could understand every word that is being preached, that is being shared. And note that in verse 38, where it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. And I, and, and, and I point to that because what is being shared here is the doctrine of the Trinity and the, the Gentiles didn't even bat an eye about the Trinity as some people might have a hard time. How exactly does that work? They just said, okay, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, they're all intertwined together and some people have such a hard time with the Trinity today trying to, to try to understand it. it we, we just can't. But these guys, they didn't, have a, they didn't have an argument. They didn't like, whoa, wait a minute. Did you say Jesus, God, and you know all this stuff together? And so I point that out. Now we know where Cornelius was at with the Lord. He, he was really hungry and he was empty because religion had left them empty. But we don't know exactly where the rest of the family or his friends were. Peter didn't know what to expect <clears throat> until he got there. And as he was doing the work, being a willing vessel because of his obedience earlier, he was led by the Holy Spirit and it tells us that he opened his mouth. He didn't have notes. He didn't have anything prepared. He's still asking, why am I here? It's like, well, preacher boy, you're the one that was called. Say something. Say something. But you see, it wasn't up to Peter to save these people. Again, he didn't have this killer message in his, up his sleeve. He just shared the simple gospel with conviction. Why? Because he knew the simple gospel with conviction. 
There had been evidence in Peter's life that God was working in him. And so whatever he was sharing, there was some conviction behind it because he, he, he knew that God was breaking something down. He was doing something. And I think that that rings true today, that if you have been saved, if there's some conviction behind what you know, then when you share it, you ought to have no problem sharing the Word of God. Not to go way over their heads or to go way deep. Just hit them right where people are at. You've been there before. Unless you've always been this, this killer saint, you've been on that other side. And so speak to people right where they're at. Not to, not to argue with people, but just to present the simple gospel. The reality of the gospel was evident in Peter's life. <clears throat> and so he just opened his mouth. And that's all God asks of us. Open your mouth. <clears throat> when you know that your sins have been forgiven, when you know that you are walking in the newness of life, then share what you know with confidence. And if the Lord gives you the opportunity, open your mouth. It's not up to you to save anyone. But it is up to you to open your mouth and to preach to the people and testify that He, Jesus, He is the one that was ordained by God. He is Lord of all. Not just your Lord. He is Lord of all. And Peter just kind of summarized the simple story of the gospel, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's it. And if people want to get deeper with you, say, that's all I know, bro. And I know that he has forgiven me of my sins. And again, that might be too simple for some people. I understand that. But maybe your job was just to put that in their ear. I'm not that deep. There's, there's other people that might come and, and, and try to explain it better than me. Cornelius and his friends, they were just glad that he showed up. And some people are just glad that you're there. It's interesting because later on, Paul, Paul would share with King Agrippa, hey, none of this was done in secret. So I know that Cornelius and a lot of these people had heard about Jesus and what was going on. And so because none of this was done in secret, Peter had made it clear that Israel was God's instrument to accomplish what he was doing. He wasn't just the Lord of Israel. He was the Lord of all. From the very beginning of the nation of Israel, as we close up here, it tells us that when he called Abram in Genesis, in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, he says this to them, and I will bless you and I will make you great and you shall be a blessing. Verse 3 of that chapter and I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so he presents to them this whole gospel. And at the end, he gives them the good news. He says in verse 43, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. And the word remission means freedom, figuratively pardon, deliverance, forgiveness, liberty, release, as from bondage, imprisonment, etc., from sins. And so they received it. They laid hold of that word, whoever. 
And so if you are a whoever and you need to have your sins forgiven, then God offers that to you. So let's just close up finishing this chapter. It says, while Peter was speaking, was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those who were circumcised, who believed, were astonished. As many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnified God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water? that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked them to stay a few days. Man, oh man, Peter could not control himself. He was so excited. As he is speaking, it's as if he didn't get to finish his sermon. As some of you guys probably would think, please, pastor, just stop. Lord, just interrupt them right now. But guys, because of what we've just covered, you and I get to sit here. Unless you're all Jewish, us, the Gentiles, have this opportunity because of what we just covered. That middle wall of separation has been broke down. Please, oh please, oh please, do not build the wall to hold anybody else from coming in to the salvation of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for today. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, that God, again, Lord God, if we just open our mouth, if we, if we would just be willing vessels, Lord God, you do the work, Lord. You do the work of saving people, Lord. You're the one that forgives. You're the one that died for them, not us, Lord. And so, Lord, I thank you for that opportunity that you give us, that wherever we find ourselves, Lord, in our homes, on our jobs, at recreation, with family members, Lord God, wherever we're at, Lord God, whether there's a lot of darkness or not a lot of darkness, that we would always be witnesses for you, Lord. That we would shine ever brighter, Lord. That we would never, ever, Lord God, hold that light from anybody else to try and hide it. That we would never build a wall to try to keep people out. But that we would, as an early church, tried to keep that wall of separation from being built back up, Lord God. Help us in that, I pray. Lord, go with us, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing this.